Thanks so much for listening to the weekly teaching podcast from Prodigal Church. We're so glad you're connecting with us online. If you've been listening for a while or you consider Prodigal as your home church, would you consider giving monthly to support this ministry? We're so grateful for the increasing impact our church is having on our online listeners. Thanks for being a part of us. You can discover all things Prodigal on the Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store or on our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. Well, this has been a fun sermon series. And before we conclude our throwback to the 1990s, here's a few more things that I want us to remember, to reminisce about. You guys remember answering machines? Yeah, if you would call someone's house and they weren't there, there was a small box with a little tiny cassette in it um, that had your, your answering machine. It was like a voicemail. It's like a voicemail, but much, much cooler. Um, what about slap bracelets? Or the clever marketing of the 1990s, the, the WhatsApp ad, the Yokiero Taco Bell ad. Uh, who remembers Oregon Trail? Right? This was way better than Fortnite. Um, this journey across the United States uh, in a wagon. Uh, and uh, it was amazing. The music was great. I am still a 90s music guy. Uh, my staff probably hates it. But the alternative world, right? Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots. And then we had rap, Tupac, Biggie Smalls, Eminem, R&B, TLC, Boys to Men, Tony Braxton, Salt and Peppa. Not Pepper. Peppa, okay? Shoop. And uh, th- then there was pop, which was a lot of boy bands and girl bands, boy bands, NSYNC. Backstreet Boys, uh, girl bands, Spice Girls, uh, Ace of Bass, right? I saw the sign. Then movies. Uh, there were some great Disney classics that came up in the 1990s. You got Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, my personal favorite, The Lion King. And then great classic movies like Jurassic Park, Home Alone, uh, Braveheart, and of course, Titanic. Leo. So then there was this show, okay? And this is our focus today, Beverly Hills 90210. And the series itself ran for 10 years from 1990 to 2000, okay? It spanned the entire decade. And the series follows the lives of a group of friends uh, in upscale star-studded community of Beverly Hills. And 90210, of course, represents the, the zip code that they lived in in that city. And these friends grow up and transition from high school to adulthood. And the show becomes a pop culture phenomenon, mostly because of the teen heartthrobs, Jason Priestley and Luke Perry, but also made Shannon Doherty and Jenny Garth household names throughout the 1990s. And the show is credited, check this out, with creating and popularizing a brand new genre of television, teen soap opera, okay? A teen soap genre was invented largely due to Beverly Hills 90210. And the show starts with them in high school, and then, now looking back, I was in high school kind of throughout part of this uh, series, throughout the decade in the 1990s, and I don't know how they fooled me. They had people in their mid-30s acting as teenagers, okay? Okay, Andrea Zuckerman was straight up 35 while she's playing a 17-year-old on the show. Um, Ian Ziering, who played Steve Sanders, was also in his 30s. How did they fool me? I don't know. Uh, it's probably not a surprise that the show got 
really no Emmys or awards or nominations. The only Emmy nomination it had was from a guest star on the series. Now, there's a lot that we could uh, take out from this show. Believe it or not, it really did tackle really big cultural, social issues in the 1990s. But one thing that the show promoted unintentionally and also intentionally was materialism. Right, really the city of Beverly Hills has become synonymous with materialistic culture, right? The Weezer song, Beverly Hills, really perfectly summarizes this sentiment, right? Beverly Hills, that's where I wanna be. And when I was growing up in the 1990s, we had a couple of cliques, right? There was really only three dominant cliques. There was the jocks, there was the nerds, and there was the preps. And the preps were always dressed to the nines, right? They, they always had the latest um, and coolest outfits. And uh, this materialistic lifestyle really summarized the preps. Now, it also summarized the other two groups because the way in which they looked at the preps and envied the preps and had jealousy for what the preps had showed the materialism that was within them as well. And so we all have been struck by materialism. And as you get older and you leave high school, this desire for materialistic things doesn't fade, it grows stronger. Materialism is this, a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values, or a preoccupation with or emphasis on material objects, comforts, and considerations. And we as Americans have always struggled with materialism. In 1835, there was a French diplomat named Alexis de Tocqueville, and he wrote a famous book called Democracy in America. And this is a quote from that book in 1835. Americans are extremely eager in the pursuit of immediate material pleasures and are always discontented with the position that they occupy. They think about nothing but always of changing their lot and bettering it. For people in this frame of mind, any new way of getting wealth more quickly, every machine which lessens work, every means that will diminish the cost of production, and every invention which makes pleasures easier or greater seems to be the most magnificent accomplishment of the human mind. Okay, this was before Apple, okay? This was written in 1835. It might as well have been written last week, right? This money materialism disease, it may have had humble beginnings in our country, but now, now that we've been infected, we feel like this disease is healthy, right? We think we need the Ginsu knife. We think we need a knife that can cut through soda cans. We think we need the ab roller because as I'm sitting on my couch eating a, a pack of Cheetos, I see this advertisement and I feel like, you know, that's what I need to get me back in shape. Uh, the, the Ninja, okay? Uh, I need a blender that can like blend shoes, just cut up shoes. It's not a blender, it's a kitchen system, okay? This is what I need, right? We've, we're convinced that whatever we see online, that we, whatever we see on the ads, whatever we see in the commercials, we need those things. The lifestyle of money and materialism has so permeated our conscious, we don't even realize that we're running this rat race. Uh, I read a story of a nine-year-old girl. Her name was Alina. She was a swimmer on her local swim team, and she has been swimming for four years. 
And at the swim meet, you know, she's not that great of a swimmer, okay? She, uh, she never won any race. In fact, she finished dead last in every race for four years. Uh, in the last swim meet of the year, the parents are there watching and the daughter's getting ready to, to get on the starting blocks and her mom puts her hands on her daughter's shoulders and she says, Alina, honey, I want you to win this race. And Alina's eyes bright, just get bright and open and she says, it's a race? And she goes, of course it's a race, honey. What did you think it was all these years? She says, I thought it was just a place to meet people. It was called a swim meet. And so this sweet little girl's just jumping in the water, trying to meet people, not a care in the world, right? No stress, no anxiety, no worry, because she's not trying to beat anybody. She's not in a race against anybody. And I want to say this to us today, you are not in a race with anybody. You don't need to earn more than anybody. You don't need to buy more than anybody. You don't need a nicer house than your neighbor. You are not in a race with anybody. So let the stress go, let the anxiety go, let the worry go, and just jump in the pool and start meeting people. You're not in a race. How many of you have ever thought, once I get to X, Y, and Z, then I'll be content, right? Like maybe it's once I get out of debt, then I'll be happy that weight will be lifted and I'll be content. Or once I graduate, or once I get married, or once I'm the owner of the business and not just an employee of the business. Whatever it is, we've said that once we get there, we'll be content, we'll change, we'll be happy, we won't be worried or stressed. Then my priorities will be right. My discontented life will now have serenity once I get X, Y, and Z. I don't know what that is for you, but you know, you know what it is. You know what those things are. We've all thought that before, right? Jesus speaks into that exact sentiment, okay? Luke chapter 12, verse 13, follow along, says this, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So a rich guy has a huge influx of money, okay? That's what it means to have an abundant harvest 2,000 years ago. He's got more money than he knows what to do himself. He's, he's got more money than he's ever had. So he thought to himself, what should I do? I'll, I'll build a place to store my crops. I've got so much stuff, so I gotta get a storage unit. I gotta go to Daryl's, okay? I have so much stuff that we need a bigger house. We need a second home. I've got so much stuff, what shall I do? So he says, this is what I'll do. And you know what he did? You know what this man did? He did exactly what he's always done. The more money you make doesn't mean you will change anything. You will do exactly what you currently are doing. He did what he's always done because he assumed as he had always assumed, if it comes to me, it's for me, it's mine. And the fact that he got more money didn't make him more generous, it just made him richer. He said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. 
and there I will store my surplus. I'll save it now. For those of you who are older, go back to when you were 19, 20 years old. When you're 19, 20, maybe you thought yourself, man, if I was making $3,000 a month, and all my prayers would be answered. I'd be done, I'd be debt-free, I'd be worry-free. And now, right now, many of you are making $3,000 a month or more, $36,000 in a year. And yet, you still worry, you're still discontent, you still have debt. You wanna know why? It's because you don't have a money problem. It's because you have a contentment problem. You have a spiritual problem, and you have a self-control problem, all three. It's not about a money problem. It's about a contentment problem, a self-control problem, and a spiritual problem. We convince ourselves that it's money, and 95% of us who worry about money, actually, we don't have a money problem. It's those other three problems, right? Contentment, self-control, and spiritual. And Jesus may not answer our prayers for more money because he wants to address all three, not just the latter. Not just the money. He wants to address contentment, self-control in our spiritual life. Let me ask a question. How much more money would you need, how much more money would you need to stop worrying about money? Okay, 10% more, 50% more? Uh, the answer is none, right? Because no matter how much money you make, I can show you someone who makes 50% more, 100% more, who has all of that and is still worried and is still anxious and still prays about money every single day. You say, no, 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 if I could, if I could only, if, if we could only, if, if I could only, you're kidding yourself. Because as soon as we get to that if only, we realize that it feeds our appetite for more. It grows. And you might be thinking, well, that might be true for other people, but really it's it's true for me. If, if I was only given 50% more, 100% more, man, it really would alleviate. It really would be this weight. I'd be able to live more free, more generous. Spike Milligan once said, all I ask is the chance to prove that money can't make me happy. Amen, right? All I ask, just give me the opportunity to prove that money won't make me happy by giving me more money. Money doesn't address discontentment, discipline, self-control. More money and more money and more money doesn't make us content. And if we say it enough, we might actually start to believe it. Now, I believe what the great 90s hip-hop artist Biggie Small said, right? Mo money, mo problems. That's true. And it's like, sometimes I'm like, God, but... But like, give me more money so that like I can know for sure it's true. <laughs> our mindset that money will make our problems go away, that money will make us happy, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't. Now, here's the rest of the story from the life of Jesus. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Jesus turned it pretty quick, right? Th that escalated quickly. So here's this rich man. He gets an abundance of harvest, right? He gets an influx of money. His stock soars, okay? Uh, he, invented, he invested in GameStop 
right when it was really cheap, and then he sold it when it was really high, okay? He, he's got this influx of money. He's like, well, I'm gonna build more. I'm gonna get more. I'm gonna get a storage unit. I'm gonna get a second house. I'm gonna, he, he did what he always did, and Jesus says, you fool. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Total loss. He was consumable, he was disposable, and now he's gone. All the stuff that he had saved to consume, someone else will now consume. And then Jesus, and I love this, it's so brilliant, he steps out of the parable, and now he looks over the parable, and not just into the person he's speaking with, but into you, and into me, and into us, and into our culture, and he says, this is how it will be. It's, a, it's future tense. This is how it's gonna be. Total loss. You have nothing to show for everything that came your way. All the abundance, all the influx, all the harvest, all the raises, you got nothing to show for it. You might have had the most lavish lifestyle, been the apple of everybody's eye, living the dream life in Beverly Hills, and you'll have nothing to show for it. Jesus' point was, was simply this. Since it's all going to be taken away from you eventually, why not be generous with it now? Why not use it as a blessing now, not for yourself, but for others? Not just for the people that you love, but for others that you know that you don't know, that could use it. Since it's all going to be taken away, why would you miss the opportunity to bless and to give it away? And Paul, one of the most prominent New Testament writers, says this in 1 Timothy, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I wish that was true, right? I got food. I got clothing. Why do I want more? Why do I need more? Why do I have envy? Why do I have jealousy? Why do I have discontentment? Why, if I get a, an influx of money, do I want to hold on to it and cling to it tighter? I really do believe this, that the only cure for our desire or this hold that money has on us, and, and I think that the hold that money has on us manifests itself in the way in which we hold it ourselves, right? We want to keep it. We want to make it greater for us, the only way to release that grip that money has on us or that grip that we have on money is to open up our hands and give it away. I wish there was a different cure for this materialistic disease that we have, but the only cure is giving it away. That's the cure. According to the US News and World's Report, it says for Americans with household incomes of under 25,000, it would take them 54,000 to live the American dream. Those who make 100,000 plus crave an average salary of 192,000 to live as they want. In other words, the American dream is always about two times greater than what we currently have. Always out of reach. So how content are you? How thankful are you? The American dream always lies twice the distance away. How content are you with your job, your home, your family, your life? And now if you say, yes, I'm thankful, but, I'm thankful for my family, but, I'm thankful for my wife, but, I'm thankful for my children, but, 
That's a mark of not being content with what God has given you. God wants you to lose that butt, okay? That's, that's the word of encouragement from the Lord today. God wants you to lose that butt. Until you get rid of all those butts, the I'm content and I'm happy but, you're always going to be discontented. You're always going to be swimming uh, this race when God wants you to enjoy the water. You'll never be truly content. And as Paul says in Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. Deep down, we all know what truly matters in life. But our lives often don't reflect that. There was once a young minister sitting in her house on a Sunday afternoon who was disturbed by the frantic banging on the front door. And upon opening the front door, she was confronted by a distraught member of her church. And it was obvious that, that he was exhausted from running from her, her house to, he was on the verge of tears. And the minister said, what's wrong? And the man said, please, can you help? Uh, and uh, a kind and considerate family in the area is in great trouble. The husband has lost his job. The wife cannot work due to health problems. They have three young children to look after. And the man's mother lives with them and she's unwell and she needs constant care. And despite the fact that they're late just one day of rent, the landlord said he's gonna kick them out. They've had no problems. 10 years they've been there. They've been the perfect tenants. And because they're gonna be late for rent this month, the landlord's gonna kick them out. They're going to be on the street if they don't pay the rent in full by the end of today. Can you help? And the minister said, that's terrible. That's awful. Of course, we as a church want to help. And so I'll go get money from the church to help make up for the shortfall. And as the minister begins to walk away, she says, by the way, how do you know these, this family? And the man says, well, I'm the landlord. Right? This bizarre and irrational story contains a profound insight into the nature of belief. It helps expose the logic that enables us to continue to act in a way that we consciously do not see, right? Like many of us would agree that having a better car, a nicer home, possessions aren't really going to make us happy. We, we believe that intellectually. We are able to concur that such things are, are not worth giving too much of our time, attention, our focus, and that we should not let that ruin, hurt, affect our friendships, relationships, etc. The problem is, that's not how we live. So we would all come to the intellectual assent that money doesn't make us happy, but that's actually the opposite of how we live. While we're very quick to say that we don't believe in something, we continue to act as if we believe it is so. We continue to believe through the unconscious affirmation of others' beliefs, right? Thus allowing us to reject, ridicule, and renounce the very things that continue to dictate our very actions. Okay, I know that's deep. That's deep. Let's make it more simple. Let's go back to a cartoon I grew up watching in the 80s and, of course, the 1990s. The Roadrunner, okay? The Roadrunner, I used to watch this on Looney Tunes every Saturday morning for cartoons. And every time uh, the, 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 the Wile E. Coyote, the main bad guy, right? The main antagonist. Uh, every time he sets a trap for the roadrunner, what happens? Yeah, it blows up in his face, right? He paints a road on a mountain and the roadrunner runs right through it. And then he tries to follow him and psh, smack right in his face. He buys a bomb from Acme. He sets it perfectly. The bird goes past it. Me. And then he goes to try and fix the bomb. Psh, blows up in his face. Right? We've seen it. By the way, how bad are, this, are the products of Acme? Okay? It sounds like there's going to be tons of lawsuits 
on this company for malpractice, for building ineffective and defective items. Man, Wally Coyote should be a, a millionaire by now. So there's this scene where he catches him. There's this video on the internet where he finally catches him. The Roadrunner's lying on the road, his tongue out, okay? And uh, then it shows Wally Coyote at, back at his apartment cooking the Roadrunner. And it, he's got, you know, a little bib on and candles and, uh, and he's roasting the Roadrunner. Then it fast forwards to Wally Coyote years later. And he has no idea what to do with his life, right? Like he's disheveled, he's an absolute mess. And uh, he finally got the one thing that he has been after his entire life and it didn't satisfy. And that's what I'm trying to say. We spend our lives trying to catch this roadrunner called wealth, called contentment, and called uh, stability, called the American dream, called materialism, call it 90210, call it whatever you want to call it. We spend our whole lives going after it. And then when we finally get it, we, we realize that's not what made us happy in the first place. We were right to think that it's not about money, but yet we lived as if it was all about money. Oscar Wilde said this, that the only thing worse than not getting what we've always wanted is getting it. The only thing worse than not getting what you've always wanted, what you've always longed for, is getting it. It never satisfies. And so it is with wealth, with material things. And we as Christ followers are called to live differently. We're called to live sacrificially. We're called to live counterculturally. We're called to live generously. So God, I pray in Jesus' name that, that this rat race called the American dream, God, that it would pale in comparison to the amazing life you've called us in you. A life of love, a life of relationships, a life of generosity. So God, may our lives not be marked by what we have, by what we own, by what we make, by what's in our bank account, but by our relationships, but by our love. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. To keep to date on all things Prodigal, visit us on our website at prodigalchurchfresno.com, download our app at the App Store, or follow us on social media at Prodigal Church Fresno. We hope you have an amazing week. Peace in the Middle East.